You're listening to True North with Pastor Gary Cottle of Gary Cottle Ministries on today's edition. My focus and my reach, I'm no longer going to reach out for these because they've already proven to me that they don't want what I've got for them. So I'm going to shift my reach and I'm going to go to a people that need me. I'm going to go to a people that want me. I'm going to go to a people that are hungry for me. And when God gets angry about our rejection of His goodness in our life and His desire to bless us and to fill us with purpose to live out His will for our life and we reject Him, He may just shift His focus and His reach on another people. Is your church hungry for the Lord? Do you seek the Lord in everyday activities? Pastor Gary's message today shares how when people reject the Lord, God changes His reach. If one group of people denies God, He will move on to a more receptive group. Take caution not to ignore the Lord. Be thankful for the blessings in your life. Acknowledge from where hope comes. If you do not want the Lord, He will not force Himself on you. Take hold of what the Lord is offering and accept Him. Now here's Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 14 as he begins his message, When God Gets Angry. Luke chapter number 14, and we will begin reading in verse number 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. I mean, if you're glad that there's still room at the cross this morning, amen. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Focus with me now, verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, and with the help of the Lord, I want to preach this subject, when God gets angry. When God gets angry. This is a subject that is very sensitive to this generation because we don't like to 
think of the fact that God can and does get angry. We like to focus more on the love side of God, and we, and he is loving, and he is gracious, and he is merciful, and he is kind, but this generation has turned a deaf ear to the fact that God still does get upset about some things. And in our text, he was angry because of the response that these people had to his acts of kindness and generosity. And so I want to tell you a few things that you need to know about what happens when God gets angry. Number one, when God gets angry, it shows his response. The truth is, God does not just get angry over nothing. Uh, The Bible says that it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And so when men in rebellion reject the grace of God, refuse the goodness of God, and do spite to the spirit of grace, God is only responding to our rejection of him. Someone might say, well, God would not get angry with someone, Brother Gary. Well, I beg to differ. You read your Bible and you find out that the only reason that a loving God gets angry is when we spit on his sacrifice, when we reject his goodness and his grace and his kindness. And it is not God's problem. It is our problem. And so God gets angry And when he does, it shows his response. You need to understand this is a response to our disobedience. There are three things that we see in the text. Uh, This shows his response first to our obsession with possessions. Verse number 18, the Bible says, They all with one consent began to make excuse. And the first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. So this individual was obsessed more with his possessions than he was his profession. He was obsessed more with his stuff and his things and the things that he had acquired and accumulated in his life than he was serving his Lord and Savior. And there's nothing wrong, children of God, with having possessions as long as your possessions don't possess you. Amen? And Jesus... Jesus was angry with this individual because they took for granted the goodness and the grace of God. God blessed them, obviously, exceedingly and abundantly above all that they had asked or thought. And rather than giving thanks and showing up for the supper, they chose rather to tend to the stuff that God put in their life rather than tend to the one that gave them their stuff. And I'm afraid today that we have a problem in our American culture and perhaps around the world with being obsessed with our possessions. And the Bible gives us a warning both to the lost and to the saved about this temptation. First to the lost, he says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And so here is a warning to you. Your possessions will not help you on judgment day. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, sir. It doesn't matter how much power you have in this earth, ma'am. Your possessions will not help you on the day of judgment. And so if you are obsessed with your possessions so much so that you put your stuff before God, then you have a problem and God might just be angry. To the Christian, the Bible warns us in Revelation chapter 3, to the backslidden Christian, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched 
and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This simply tells us that your spiritual condition it has nothing to do with your financial status. And the Lord was rebuking the church of Laodicea because they got comfortable. God had so increased them with blessings and goods. They got their eye off the blesser and onto the blessings and all of a the sudden they've left their first love and now they're more in love with their stuff than they are the king of kings and the lord of lords. And there is a warning in the scripture that God said, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, because you're straddling the fence, because you love things more than me, because you put stuff before me, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So this shows God's response to our obsession with possessions. Just a word of caution to you. You better make sure that Jesus is number one in your life. You better make sure that Jesus is number one in your life. If your stuff comes between you and God, you'd be better off without your stuff. Amen. Just needs to be said to this church that we're living in today, the church that we have on our hands today, we're so increased with goods that we feel like we have need of nothing. I mean, we've got it all. We've got our programs. We've got our buildings. We've got our missions funds. We've got our new technology through which we can deliver the gospel around the world. We've got everything at our fingertips. Now, we've got everything that a church could ask for to be equipped with propelling the gospel throughout the earth. We're blessed and rich and increased with goods, but the Bible says that spiritually speaking that we were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked because what good is this stuff if we have not the power of God through which to be used amen so God is responding to those who are obsessed with possessions but not only that he is responding to our obsession with power verse number 19 said that another one said to the Lord I have uh, bought five yoke of oxen and I gotta go prove them I'll I pray they have me excused. This yoke of oxen, no doubt, was a means with which to earn an income. This was symbolic of his power status in the community. And you know what? Sometimes we, we become impressed with our power status in the community and we, we rise to the height of our own pride and we pat ourselves on the back and all of a sudden we're more concerned with our own power and we're obsessed with our power and our ability to accomplish things and to be productive and to be a pillar of the community and we like to make ourselves look good when we really need to make sure that we are disposable Christians. Let me define what I mean by that. Disposable Christians, meaning I should be willing to dispose my will for His. I should be willing to dispose my power for His. But so many times we wrestle with the Lord and we want to keep our corner of power in the community. And, and, you know, I see often where churches, you know, become blessed by God and they become very influential in the community. And before you know it, they have a sense of pride about them and a sense of arrogance. And the Bible says, if any man thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. We better make sure we don't get on no power kicks and put our power before the Lord. We better not be obsessed with our power because in Deuteronomy the Lord warned his people. He said, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. We're in Deuteronomy 8 verse 11. Verse 12 said, Lest that when thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. Skip to verse 18. Uh, he says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. So the Lord is responding to 
this individual's obsession with power. They are more interested in what they can accomplish and what they can pull off and what they can do than they are doing the will of the Lord for their life. You know, in terms of practicality, we could apply it this way. A lot of times we put our career before God. We live in a generation now that does not make church attendance and participation in church outreach a priority anymore. Our number one priority is making the almighty dollar. We're in that culture. We don't think for a second. We're no longer hesitant anymore to take a job that will cause us to work so many hours that we can never get plugged into a local church and really be effective for the cause of Christ. But I challenge anybody today, if you put God first, God will provide for you. But we have a generation that is faithless. We can't trust God to provide for us. And we don't know how to turn down a job that's going to consume so much of our life that we have no time left over for God. So what do we do? We sell out for the almighty dollar. We sell out for possessions. We sell out for power to get wealth. And so our family suffers and our children grow apart and our marriages fall apart because we're striving to make it in this world not knowing that we're wretched and miserable in the soul because we have not made God a priority in our lives obsession with power this was something that made the Lord angry he bid a people to a supper that cared more about their possessions and their ability to earn an income than they cared about being in attendance at the supper and then we see that he is responding to our obsession with people in verse number 20 another said I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come This is symbolic of those of us who put other people before God. People who allow others to influence them to do wrong rather than doing right. I thought about Amnon. The Bible said of Amnon there in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 3a, but Amnon had a friend. You remember what Amnon's friend convinced him to do, don't you? If you don't remember, let me jog your memory. He convinced him to rape his own sister. Amnon had a friend, some friend that was. You know, today we have people that care more about what their friends' opinions are than they do about God's will for their life. Teenagers suffer from what we call peer pressure all the time. And teenagers often will do the most ridiculous and stupid things just to fit in because they care more about fitting in with the in crowd than they do pleasing God. But I'm going to challenge you today. Don't let other people keep you from serving God. You do what God has called you to do. I don't care if there's 7 billion people on the planet and everybody but you is doing right. You do right and let everybody else do what they're going to do because at the end of the day, every one of us shall give an account of himself, not to our friends and our peers, but to God in heaven and we as a church have got to remember that we've got to teach our children that and parents we've got to set an example for our kids that God's will comes first don't care what society has to say about it I've had people accuse me of being too strict with my children I've had people uh, talk about me because I don't let my children participate in things that the average American family would let their children participate in. I have standards for my children, and I believe those standards are based on biblical principles and concepts. And we live in a day and age now where people are more willing to please their peers than they are to please God. And I'm just telling you, God gets angry when that happens, when we put other people before God. Some things to think about, huh? When God gets angry, it shows his response to some things. But not only does it show us his response, but now I want to show you how that it shifts his reach. It's very interesting. This is a caution for us. It shifts God's 
reaps. What do you mean by that, Brother Gabe? Well, look at verse 21. The Bible said, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. In other words, God was saying, okay, here's the people that have rejected me, so I'm going to shift my focus and my reach. I'm no longer going to reach out for these because they've already proven to me that they don't want what I've got for them. So I'm going to shift my reach and I'm going to go to a people that need me. I'm going to go to a people that want me I want to go to a people that are hungry for me and when God gets angry about our rejection of his goodness in our life and his desire to bless us and to fill us with purpose to live out his will for our life and we reject him he may just shift his focus and his reach on another people this is obviously in context this is a parallel to how God you know the Bible said Jesus said I came to my own and my own received me not so he went to the Jew first they rejected him so he went to the Gentiles in context that's what this passage is talking about in principle it is, it is applicable to any individual or any church that rejects a move of God in their midst if you do not want him he will not force himself on you he can turn to a people he can find someplace else somewhere else somebody else that wants what he has to offer them very sobering message this morning. I'm talking about when God gets angry. He gets angry, and when he does, it shifts his reach fastly. He said, go quickly. God won't take no time about it. He'll, it'll happen so fast you won't know it's happened. The Bible said that Samson wished not that the Lord had departed from him. What happened? He just pulled off so quickly he didn't even recognize it. God can write Ichabod over a church. That means the glory of the Lord has departed if a church decides that they're going to go their own way and do their own thing instead of following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Fastly, he'll shift his reach. Fiercely, he'll shift his reach. Look at the type of people he's going after now. He invited all, but most people were too good and too proud. They didn't need the Lord, so he went and he found a people that was hungry and hurting and broken. And boy, shouldn't that be the focus of the church today to reach out to the brokenhearted? Uh, Jesus said that I've come to preach the deliverance to the captives, to set at liberty those that are bound. Amen. And so many times we, the church, are guilty, you know, of not obeying our Lord's command and going out and reaching the blind and the halt and the maimed and, and, you know, the people of ill repute, so to speak. And God help us to love all people and to reach them all. There is something to be said of this servant in this text. The servant went and invited everybody that the Lord commanded him to invite. And when they rejected, he came back and gave them an accurate report. The Lord, they're not listening. And so the Lord gave him a new assignment. And what did he do? He immediately obeyed, came back and reported. Would to God that we had servants in our churches today that would just immediately obey the word of God. When the Spirit of God says, stop, talk to this individual. Stop, go a witness to that individual. That we would just be obedient servants. That we would not ask questions. That we would not try to enter into a conversation with God to convince him that he's focusing on the wrong people. But that we would just follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and love everybody like Jesus loves them. There's something to be said of this servant. I don't have time to preach much on the servant, but I wanted to inject that this morning because it is important for us to understand that God has mercy on whom he will have mercy. And sometimes he has mercy on people that we would not have mercy on. Back when we uh, was participating in a home for men who were addicted to drugs and alcohol, I would go in the community and try to raise support for this men's home. And, and I was told on more than one occasion, I don't help that kind. And it would break my heart because my daddy was that kind. My grandpas were that kind. 
God turned my whole family tree around. See, men dispose others they deem worthless, but God reaches out and He focuses on those that are brokenhearted and cast down. The last thing you need to do is stick up your snubby nose at somebody that's in desperate need of help. The first thing you need to do is reach out with a loving hand and embrace them in the grace of God and the love of Christ and give them an opportunity to hear your testimony of what God did for you and He can do for them. God help us this morning to go with the reach that Christ is going with. He is fierce in who he is after. He, if you're lost this morning and you need a Savior and you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked and you know that there's no hope without Christ, you're the kind of person Jesus saves. You're the kind of person that he wants. He wants to set you up on a solid rock and establish your goings. He wants to plant your feet in the church and make you a glorified vessel that's fit for the use of the Master that you might bring glory and honor to him this morning. And we see here that he shifted his focus. I, I don't know about you but when God begins to shift his focus I want to be the one that he is walking towards not the one that he is walking from and this shows us thoroughly that when he shifts his reach not only did he do it fastly and fiercely but he did it far he said he went on to say go into the highways and the hedge in other words there's no geographical distance that's too far wherever you can find them go tell them and invite them to come and you know the bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved that's a both near and far there is no distance too great that god can't gap at the foot of the cross if you'll come to him and there's no distance too great that the church ought not to be willing to travel to tell somebody about Jesus but now here's a word of caution if he shifts his focus off of you because you've rejected him he can do that at his will and the Bible says behold now is the day of salvation today is the accepted time the Bible says call on him while he is near you don't just choose one day whenever you're going to get saved well I think I'll get saved when I'm ready well guess what you may never be ready if you wait on your timetable, you're playing Russian roulette with your soul when you say that I will get saved when I'm good and ready. Because the Bible says for us to call on Him while He is near. That means when He is dealing with you, when you have an open invitation and you have yet to respond, you need to respond now and immediately so that your day of grace may not pass by you. Because God has promised that, you know, the Bible says that He has given to every man a certain measure of faith. Everybody, I believe, will have one chance in their lifetime to be saved. I don't believe that God is obligated to give you any more than one chance. I wouldn't gamble with my soul, sir. I wouldn't gamble with my soul, madam. If God is dealing with you about giving your life to Christ, do it and do it today and don't let your power or your possessions or the people in your life or maybe even the people at church keep you from going to Jesus because at the end of the day, your soul is at stake. You don't want to be left and found where Jesus passed by your way because you will not accept Him when he was calling talking about when god gets angry it shows us his response and it it shifts his reach he may just turn to another people this is a warning to churches today god may shift his focus you don't want revival he may send it somewhere else you better be sure that you respond appropriately and in obedience to god's will for your ministry and then thirdly when god gets angry it settles his resolve it settles his resolve there in verse 24 for i say unto you 
First, he declared it. When God declares something, it shall be. There's nothing you can do to change it. You don't want God to declare judgment over you. Not only did he declare it, but he decided it. He said that none of those men which were bidden shall take. See, God's decision, God's decision is based on your decision. God wouldn't send anybody to hell. He don't. You willfully choose to go there. You willfully choose to go there. If you reject the goodness of God, I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it a hundred more, God did everything humanly and divinely possible that you might be saved. You've been listening to True North with Pastor Gary Cottle. If you enjoyed today's message, we invite you to subscribe to True North on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to share these with your friends and family, too. This could be a great way to start a conversation about Christ and study the Word together. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like to request prayer, please get in touch with Pastor Gary by emailing contact at garycoddle.com. That's contact at gary, C-A-U-D-I-L-L.com. True North is a ministry of Gary Cottle Ministries. You can find out more by visiting our website, garycoddle.com. Would you like to come worship with Pastor Gary? Simply visit garycoddle.com for more details on where he pastors and how you can plan a visit. If you're not in the area, we still encourage you to find a local church body where you can learn from God's Word and spend time with other believers. It will be a place for you to grow in faith, find support, and serve in ways you are uniquely designed to. With that, our time with you has come to a close today. Join Pastor Gary next time for more right here on True North.